Good morning and welcome to our service. It's really good to have you with us. Let's open in a word of prayer, shall we? Father God, we thank you that you are the creator and the sustainer of everyone and everything. We thank you that you are eternal and infinite and unchangeable in your power and perfection, your goodness and glory, your wisdom and justice and truth, that nothing happens except through you and by your will. And Father, we also acknowledge this morning that we live in you, we move in you, and we have our being in you, and that you are over all and through all and in all. Lord, you're such an amazing God, and so we ask that you would accept every shred of praise and worship that we bring to you this morning. We ask these things in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to spend uh, just a few moments um, in family time. First of all, we'd like to wish Jill Guthrie a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Jill. We hope that you have a blessed day and a blessed year ahead. In fact, we would sing happy birthday to you if we were all gathered together. But seeing as it's only Don and I, we're just not going to give it a go. But a happy birthday to you, Jill. Um, during this family time, I'd also like to just... Um, inform you a little bit about some of the kingdom initiatives that we are supporting as Harvest Church during this time of COVID lockdown. I think it's really good for you to know these things. We are providing financial support and uh, not insignificant amounts to Harare Theological College because they are training the pastors of tomorrow. I was trained at Harare Theological College and Wayne Butler is also busy doing his degree there at the moment. We're also supporting the Harare Christian Counseling Center during this difficult time. We're supporting Shanduko Transformation Project in Gweru. That's the project that's run by Tiens and Deirdre Buerta. We're going to pray for Tiens a little bit later because he's really been struggling with his back. We also support 12 uh, different families at Harvest that are at risk. Um, four of those families are retired people and so we provide financial support for them at the moment. During this time of COVID, people haven't been as able to drop off um, food uh, items from their shopping. Remember, we used to collect those uh, on Sundays at church at the, at the Gateway Hall. And so we've been supporting them rather um, with money. We also continue to support Miracle Missions as well. So these are some of the Kingdom initiatives that we're involved in. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for your ongoing um, support and giving in that particular area. Let's just spend a moment praying for Tiens Boerta. Um, Tiens has been struggling for quite a few years with his back. Um, everything was lined up for him to have an operation in South Africa. But unfortunately, that hasn't been possible now with all the COVID restrictions. So we're trusting that God will heal his back in a miraculous way. One of the things that he really struggles with is the fact that he can't really play with his kids as much as he would like to. So let's pray for him. And then we should also pray for Gail's mum. That's Pat Dennison. She went into hospital on Monday to have a hysterectomy. And uh, last night she was rushed, rushed back into theater because it was discovered that um, there, there was a, a leak in her bowel and that infection had set in. They managed to sort it out on the operating table. Um, she's on a respirator this morning and I think it, it means that 
the, the prospects for her recovery are not going to be as good as they were. So we need to pray for both of those things. Shall we bow our heads and pray? Father God, we, we pray for Tians and we pray in agreement as a body of believers for his healing. Please heal us back, we ask in Jesus' name. Father, we also pray for Pat. We thank you for her. We, we thank you that she loves you so much. Um, we thank you that she's such an inspiration to Gail and I um, as, as a person. And Lord, we ask that you would bring healing to her body and that she would recover now from these two um, big operations that she's had in short succession. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Folks, we're going to go into a time now of praise and worship. There, there'll be two or three songs lined up for you on the video. Um, before you do that, I wonder if you could just hit pause and grab your Bibles, because I'm not going to read today's text to you. It's from Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 14 to 21. So maybe you could just hit pause um, and read that scripture amongst yourselves now. And then go on to listen to the praise and worship. Or if you aren't able to do that, just fast forward to when I start the sermon. So let's dive into the, the sermon now based on Ephesians 3 verses 14 to 21. I've been working on a DIY project. Um, I've been converting an old generator shed uh, or um, security cage into a chicken coop and one of the things that I've needed for this project is a power saw. Now I don't know about you but I, I just love power tools. I really I get really excited about power tools. So on Monday I decided to have a check on the internet to see if the power saw that I needed was for sale anywhere and I've discovered that there was one for sale at a hardware store in Masasa. So I drove all the way across to Masasa and uh, I found the saw that I wanted with the specifications that I wanted. And then I was delighted to find that there was another saw with a better brand name and also in the professional range that had the same uh, features. And it was $30 cheaper. I think it was going for $45 instead of for $75. And so I was really excited about this. Um, I had a look at the shelves underneath the display to see if there were any boxes of the GST650 down there and I could see a box. So I went across and found the sales assistant. I said, I'd like to buy this GST650. He said to me, I'm afraid we don't have any in stock. So I said, but I can see a GST650 box there on the shelf. He said, well, that's actually an empty box because the model that you see on display there was taken out of that box. So I said, well, couldn't I buy the model that's on display? I mean, it hasn't been used, has it? And he said, no, it hasn't been used. Let me go and check with my superior. And I was just like, uh, well, I don't know if pastors can cross their fingers. I was just saying, Lord, please, <laughs> may, this, may, may this be possible. And he came back and he said, yes, you can buy it. So he took the saw off the display. He put it in the box. I went to the checkout, bought it, went back home. And now we come to that exciting moment when you take your new purchase out of the box. I took it out, I looked at it, and I thought, this is amazing. This thing has got a variable speed selector. I don't remember that being on the GST650, wow. And then I looked at the little chuck that receives the saw blade, and you don't need to use an Allen key, you can just slide it in. 
And then there was a dust extractor as well. I was like, I'm sure that the GST650 didn't have those features. And so I checked on the label on the side of the saw and sure enough, it was the next model up. It was the GST700. So my immediate reaction was, that's fantastic. They've given me a GST700 for the GST650. And then I started to think about it. And I thought, you know what? This was a mistake. The sales assistant made a mistake. He took the wrong model off the sales display and put it in the GST650 box. So what was I going to do about it? And you know, I didn't want to drive all the way back to Masasa, spend all that time in the traffic, waste my diesel to try and rectify their problem. So my logic said, well, they should compensate me for having made a mistake. I shouldn't have to pay for my mistake by giving me the better model. But I didn't feel comfortable with that. You know, the Bible says that we should treat others the way we would like to be treated. So I started to think about it. The sales assistant, how would he like to be treated? Yes, he'd made a mistake. But the poor guy at the end of the month when he tries to reconcile his stock, he's going to be out. And he probably ends up having to pay out of his own pocket. And I'm sure that he's far less able to pay for that than I am. And so I went and had tea with Gail and Matthew. I started sharing with them. The frustrating thing was that Matthew said to me, Ian, well, not Ian, he said, Dad, isn't this an opportunity for the gospel? And I, I do. I find it so frustrating when my children refer me to my own sermons. Because two weeks ago, I was talking about how we need to become servants of the gospel, how our lives need to manifest the attributes of Christ, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so I made the decision to go back. Drove all the way across town. I had to leave at quarter to four in the afternoon. There was lots of traffic. The police were out. I got there, found the sales assistant. I said, this is what's happened. And he was so delighted. He said, ah, you are an honest man. I said, could I have your phone number? because I'd like to send you a recording of one of the sermons that I've preached recently. And he said, oh, so you're a pastor? I said, yes, I'm a pastor. He says, hey, you're a pastor. You're an honest man. Then he said, I hope that God blesses you for this. And my immediate reaction was, you know, even if God never blessed me again, he has blessed me so much in Christ, I've had more than enough. And I shared it with him. That was the gospel opportunity that God gave me. So we're going to come back to that story a little bit later. It's a great illustration of what I'm going to be talking about today. Um, we've, let's just go back and recap very briefly from last time. Remember we were learning that we have found a place of belonging in Christ Jesus. It's that ultimate place of belonging that every person is longing for and looking forward to. But God brings us into that place of belonging because he wants to send us out to fulfill his plans and his purposes for mankind. He enriches us so that we can enrich others. He blesses us so that we can bless others. And so two weeks ago, we asked the question, now that I belong, how should I respond? And we said that the way we respond is by becoming stewards of the, of, of God. Um, so what is it that we steward? Well, we steward the mystery, which is that every man 
can, if he will accept the gift, find a place of belonging in Christ Jesus. And then how do we, how do we steward that mystery? We do it by becoming servants of the gospel. We use our lives to preach and to bring to light the hidden attributes of Christ. Now, I illustrated the concept of stewardship by saying that if, for example, I had been stranded in the UK due to COVID and I had business interests and resources and finances here in Zimbabwe, a steward is someone who I would appoint to manage my affairs in Zimbabwe the same way that I would have done it if I was here. Now, you can imagine that if I was looking to choose a steward, I would be pretty careful about the person that I chose. It's the same as choosing a partner. We're pretty picky, aren't we, when it comes to choosing partners? It doesn't matter whether it's a marriage partner or a bridge partner or a golf partner or a, um, a business partner. We want to be careful about who we select. So what sort of person does God want us to be as his steward? So let's find out today three things. What we need to be a good steward of God, how we get it, and why we need it. What we need, how we get it, and why we need it. Let's dive into the first one, what we need. Folks, let's read from verse 14. Paul writes there, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Now Jewish people used to pray standing up, but Paul is bowing his knees. And that's very significant, folks. That's because he wants to be in a place of submission and humility because he's carrying a burden for the Ephesians. He's praying for something that he really, really wants them to experience. What is it? Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Folks, this is what he wants. Now you might say, as, a, as Christians, he's writing to Christians, isn't he, in Ephesus. As Christians, Christ has come into their hearts. What's the difference between that and Christ dwelling in their hearts? What is Paul's understanding of dwelling? And there's two possible Greek words that he could have chose there. One is to occupy a temporary residence, and the other is to occupy a permanent home and he uses the word for the latter so think of it this way what sort of accommodation are you offering christ are you offering him rented accommodation because when somebody comes into a house to rent it they don't have the same rights as someone who stays there as an owner and, and as someone who is staying there permanently if they want to alter the house. They don't have permission to do that. They don't have permission to redecorate it any way that they would like. And so what we want to do is we want to offer accommodation to Christ where he comes in and he is the owner of our lives. He's the one who gets to decide what we can and what we can't do. And also we don't offer him the sort of temporary accommodation that you might find in a B&B. I mean, if I have an Airbnb at home and people come to stay there, they don't get access to all the other rooms in my house. 
And sometimes we as Christians offer Christ that sort of accommodation. We don't allow Him into all the different areas of our life. Maybe we withhold the leisure area. Maybe we withhold the hobby area, the DIY area. Is God in control of that? Does He have a say about that? So this is what it means, folks, to offer Christ a dwelling, for Him to dwell in our hearts through faith. And many of the commentators see the idea of Christ dwelling in a person's heart as being parallel to being filled with the Spirit. And we're going to learn more about that in chapter 5, verse 18. Paul says there, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Two contrasts. On the one hand, I've yielded control of my life to alcohol. On the other hand, I've yielded control of my life to the Holy Spirit in all areas of my life. So that's what we're aiming for as stewards, for Christ to dwell in our hearts. Let's move on to the second point now. How do we get that indwelling of Christ? How do we allow Him to dwell in our hearts? And the bottom line here, folks, is that we do it through prayer. I'm just going to take a very brief aside here for a moment to underline and emphasize the importance of prayer in the life of a believer. Are you characterized by being a person of prayer? Is our church, is Harvest characterized as being a body of people that pray? Did you know that God followers were first and foremost known as people who called upon the name of the Lord. Right back in the beginning, remember Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain murdered Abel, so they had a second, a third son, I beg your pardon, called Seth. And it says in Genesis 4.26, To Seth also a son was born, and he called him Enosh. Then, this is significant, at that time people began to call on the name of the Lord. God followers, right at the beginning, were first and foremost people who called on the name of the Lord. And then, as we go through into the New Testament, in three of the Gospels, it is reported, Jesus said, It is said in the Old Testament that my house is to be a house of prayer. He was quoting from Isaiah. And yet you've turned it into a house of thieves, into a den of thieves. Folks, Harvest Church is to be known as a house of prayer. And then if you look at Paul as well. So we've seen it in Genesis. We've seen it in um, the prophets because Jesus quotes from the prophets from Isaiah. We've seen it in the Gospels. Now we also see it in the epistles. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Remember he said that in chapter 1 verse 15. We believe as a leadership that if Christ is to dwell in our hearts through faith, then we as individuals and we as a church at Harvest need to become more of a house of prayer. Fortunately, we are already praying a lot. Every Tuesday night we have a prayer meeting. You'd be welcome to join it if you'd like to. Just WhatsApp me. We, we organize that every Tuesday night and we pray from 6 until 7. But we want to to do some more initiatives in the coming weeks to ramp up prayer 
at Harvest Church. So we get this indwelling of Christ through prayer. But what do we pray for and how do we pray? What do we pray for and how do we pray? First thing that we do, this is very significant, we pray for strength. If you want to have Christ dwelling in your heart in the way that we described, you are going to need strengthening. Think of Paul, for example. He repeats a number of times in this epistle that he is a prisoner for Christ Jesus. That requires strength. Who would willingly become a servant of, a gospel, of the gospel in such a way that you end up becoming a prisoner? For, for Paul, Christ dwelling in his heart meant that he ended up as a prisoner and he needed strength to be a prisoner for Christ. On a far lesser scale, that Monday morning when I opened the box and saw the wrong model of generator there, I'm saying, Lord, what should I do? What would you like me to do in this situation? How can I bring to light the unsearchable riches of Christ? It took strength because my logic initially was a bit skewed. It was wrong <laughs> and I needed God to help me to see things the way he wanted to see them. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are not your ways. And you need strength to drive through the traffic and to do the right thing. In verse 14, Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. A few things to note here. First of all, the source of the strength. The source of the strength is God's glorious riches. Can you think of a better source of strength? Second thing to note, the fuel, if you like, of the strength is God's power. We desperately need God's power energizing our thoughts, energizing our will, energizing our emotions, because we often experience weaknesses in those different areas. And those things will militate against us living in such a way that Christ has complete control of our lives. So the source of strength is God's glorious riches. The fuel of the strength is God's power. The mediator of the strength is the Holy Spirit, that you may be strengthened by His Spirit in your inner being. It's the Holy Spirit. There's this place in 1 John where, where John says, the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Isn't that wonderful? To know that we have the Holy Spirit right at the center of our being, mediating this power that we need. So the source is the glorious riches, the fuel is God's power, the mediator of the strength is the Holy Spirit, and lastly, the location of where we get strengthened is in our heart. Now we've said on a number of occasions over the last few years that the heart is like the central processing unit of a computer. You know how a computer takes um, signals from the keyboard and then decides what to do with those and the screen, the monitor, um, 
different devices that are attached to the computer. And in the same way, our heart is right at the center of our will and our emotions and our thinking, all of these things. And that's where we need the greatest strength. I didn't need physical strength in order to go to Masasa. I needed strength in my reasoning. I needed strength in my will to do the right thing. And I'm sure that it was the same for Paul. Although in his case, it would have extended also to physical strength as well. But this strength is being mediated to us by the Holy Spirit right there at the center of our being where we need it the most. And I'm sure you'll find this if you're struggling, for example, with addiction. Or maybe you're suffering with, um, struggling with temptation. It's there in your heart that you need the strength to empower you to live in such a way that Christ has full control, that He dwells in your heart. So, we pray for the strength needed to have Christ dwelling in our hearts. We also pray for knowledge of His love. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So Paul is praying that the Ephesians would be able to grasp the dimensions of God's love and that they would know his love as well. But notice the soil in which this knowledge grows. Notice the foundation on which this knowledge is built. Do you see the phrase there? Being rooted and grounded in love. Those two words um, portray similar concepts because rooted and grounded refers to something that happens below the surface. A plant is not going to grow unless it is rooted in the soil. A building is not going to stand up strong unless it is built on a foundation. And folks, we are rooted and grounded in love. And the tense of the Greek verbs there tell us that Paul is referring to something that's happened in the past, but which has ongoing consequences for the rest of our life. In other words, when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we find our place of belonging in Him, right at that moment, we are rooted and grounded in love. And this is such wonderful news because if we are to become stewards of the gospel, if we are going to become servants of the gospel, if our lives are going to manifest the attributes of God, the unsearchable riches of Christ, then we need to know that we are rooted and grounded in love because that'll give us the confidence to do it. It'll mean that we are motivated in the right way. And it'll also mean that the most significant attribute of God, which is His love, remember God is described as being love. God is love. If we're rooted and grounded in love, then we will be able to manifest that attribute of God and our lives will become like a sermon that people can read about God. But, but this is the kicker. 
Folks, treating people with love is a challenge. And it's because we are such selfish beings. You know, even when we do things to serve others, we're often doing it out of, a, out of an ulterior motive, a selfish motive. And so, if you want to grasp, um, I beg your pardon, and if our motive is not love, then our actions mean nothing. They mean nothing in God's economy and in the economy of the kingdom of God. And so we need to grasp the dimensions of God's love and we need to know his love. I think it's significant that Paul doesn't tell the Ephesians how to obtain the knowledge of God's love. He just prays that they would. And folks, if you want to grasp the dimensions of God's love, you need to ask for it in prayer. And you need to pray that your family members, your spouse, your friends, your colleagues, that they also grasp the dimensions of God's love. Lastly, Paul says that we will grasp God's love together with all the saints. I think he's referring to the fact that love will only be truly grasped in relationship with other people. Because let's face it, we only learn to love other people when there are other people around. If we're not part of a close family, we're not going to have to learn how to love. And it's in the context of a local church community, of a family, that we really learn how to love. We really learn the dimensions of God's love. So we pray for strength. We pray for knowledge of God's love. And then lastly, we pray with faith. In verse 17, Paul says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And remember, it just takes a mustard seed of faith. Let's approach God with confidence and faith, knowing that he can do these amazing things for us. So, to be stewards of God, Christ needs to dwell in our hearts through faith. How do we allow God to dwell in our hearts in the way that we've been describing here? We do it by prayer. We pray for strength. We pray for knowledge of God's love. And we pray with faith. And now we come to the last point, And that's answering the why question. Why must Christ dwell in our hearts? And Paul gives two reasons. First, verse 19b, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I wonder what that means. Well, the fullness of God is his perfection. And that is the standard or level up to which we pray to be filled. You see, conversion isn't the aim. Our aim is that we would become like Christ, that we'd, we would be filled up progressively more and more to the fullness of God. Conversion is just the start of that process. Now we ask the question, well, why? Why would God want you to be filled with all the fullness of God? Remember we said that God's stewards are servants of the gospel. Their very lives become sermons that preach and bring to light what God is like. And when people look at us, they are to see something of the fullness of God, His character, His attributes, and of course, as we've said, primarily His love. So that's the first reason why Christ must dwell in our hearts. 
that we would be filled with the fullness of God. And then secondly, we do it to glorify God. He writes in verse 21, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Just look at those two parallel phrases there. Glorified in the church and glorified in Christ Jesus. Those two phrases are parallel. It is possible for God to be glorified in the church to the same degree and extent that he was glorified in Christ. Now this is an absolute miracle. I don't know how it's possible and that's why Paul writes in verse 20, now, who is, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the miracle that God can do in our lives, that he would be as glorified in us, in our church, Harvest Church, as he was in Christ Jesus. And we used to have a sticker on the back of one of our cars which said, God is able. It was a quotation from this verse. God is able to use you and I as stewards. He's able to strengthen us for the task. He's able to teach us in the ways of love. And God is able to fill us up to the measure of his fullness. I'd like to ask you to do two things, two simple things in response to this message. First of all, write out on a card, God is able, and then stick it up, maybe on your computer screen or maybe on your notice board, just as a reminder that God is able to do the things that we've been talking about today. And then secondly, decide to pray Paul's prayer for yourself and then one for, for one other Christian once a day for a month. And especially when you come to, to points where life is a challenge, pray this prayer that you find here in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And we just long for Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith. It's an exciting journey that we're on, and I pray that you will continue on it with great enthusiasm and passion for God's sake. Um, we pray all of these things and we, we preach these things in Jesus' name. Goodbye for now and thank you so much for listening.